0: But didn't do that and so they they're they're headed toward the hill in jerusalem and abraham has taken all the provisions needed for the test to make isaac a burnt offering and away they go and the two of them depart from the uh, two young men accompanying them to head to the last part of their journey and Of course, Isaac says, wait a minute, what about the lamb? What's what's happening with the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. And we see indeed before we're done that he does. But Abraham carried out the command to offer Isaac as a burnt offering right up to the point of slaying Isaac. He's making the initial motions to make that happen. Isaac's there bound on the wood. And from heaven we hear, Abraham, don't harm the boy. And we see that God did provide the offering, a ram caught in the thicket. And as we continue then, God pronounced again his blessings on Abraham, repeating that he would be a nation where his descendants would be numbered like the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore. But he also added one, he said, your seed shall possess the gates of your enemies, which is an interesting statement. Abraham really doesn't have too many known enemies at this point because um, he's made a treaty with Abimelech they're living down in that part of the country in the southern south of what we would call Israel today and Abraham seemed to be pretty well at peace with everyone as it was he had previously defeated the kings of the east but anyway he returned back to where he was living down near Beersheba and the chapter finishes out with some information that will actually be foundational next time that Abraham learned that his brother had a granddaughter whose name was Rebecca and so I'm sure many of you all of you probably recognize that that's going to be Isaac's wife which we will cover in in a subsequent Sunday morning But today we come to Genesis 23, and uh, we're going to cover that chapter, uh, verses 1 through 20. And it is the departure of Sarah from the life of both Abraham and Isaac. So let's read Genesis 23, 1 through 20. And so I would look for a volunteer to do that bit of reading for us. Go ahead.
1: Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham arose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a bearing. Burying place that I may bury my dead Out of my sight And the Hittites answered Abraham Hear us my lord You are a prince of God among us Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs None of us will withhold from you his tomb To hinder you from burying your dead Abraham arose and bowed to the Hittites The people of the land And he said to them If you are willing that I should bury my dead Out of my sight Hear me and entreat for me Ephron the son of Zoar that he may give me the cave of Machpelah which he owns it is at the end of his field for the full price let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place burying place now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his his city no my lord hear me I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed before the people of the the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron, Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. <coughs> Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, four hundred shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. <coughs> so the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the city or at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah and his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave. That is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites.
0: Okay. So we come to this moment when Sarah departs the scene as she passes away. And we start in verse one with, Now Sarah lived one hundred and twenty-seven years. And these were the lives these were the years of the life of Sarah. And so She's reached the age of 127, and that's that when she dies, according to the next verse. And so she died in Kirith Arba, which is Hebron, the land the land of Canaan. So this is back up north. And she's 127 years old. So how old is Isaac today when he died? Huh? Thirty-seven. She was she was ninety when he was born. How many women would like to be caring for a baby at age 90? That would be an interesting exercise. I'm sure she had plenty of help. But so he is 37, and she passes away. She dies. And verse 2, it says she died there at near Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn Sarah and to weep for her. So this was, as you would expect, a difficult time for Abram. Abraham he's in mourning he's weeping this is uh, uh, something that he had to know was coming at some point in time we all know it's coming in our lives and with those that we love around us uh, whether we go first or they do but it's going to be difficult for those that are left and the difficulty we know always goes along with how close we are to them but this is what he's doing and so he's in weeping for her we don't know how long that went on but in verse 3, then Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke in the New American Standard to the sons of Heth, saying, Now, we, we, before we're done, we're going to find out. And the transla- what translation did you read? ESV. ESV. So the ESV, many of you use an ESV. It just says Hittites over and over and over again, right? And that Hittite comes from the, the name of Heth. And so who were the Hittites? Well, that's a question worth asking because they're already on the scene when Abraham is here. They're going to show up again if we were to read through Exodus and every, all the conquest. But um, the Hittites uh, came from what would be modern Turkey. And apparently, um, some one of a person named Heth, that's who the Hittites are named after, Uh, comes down into the Canaanite area as a tradesman is what's commonly thought. And he established uh, some sort of a business there and they build up a city of Hittites and maybe a region of Hittites, not quite sure about that. But uh, that's who we're dealing with are the sons of Heth. That's just another way of saying Hittites. The other thing that's going to come up as we read through this, to me it's always very helpful to start imagining in my mind's eye a scene. Is it going to be accurate? No. Um, What I imagine the city gates look like would be different than the city gates in in a particular city and so on. But as we put this in our mind's eye, when I first read through it, I I could see uh, literal sons of Heth. How many do you have? Five, six, ten? I don't know. So here are these first generation sons of Heth having a meeting with Abraham as he goes about seeking a place to bury his dead and the way the New American Standard words it in particular it almost looks like the group expands but before we're done we're gonna find out that's really not the right way of looking at this scene as we get down to the end of the chapter it's clear they're in the city gates of a city of Hittites so imagine all this happening in a public setting this is just not a casual conversation between some people, you know, if, if, if I wanted to buy a chunk of property off of Rick, and I thought he might sell it to me, I could go over and have a a conversation in his home, we could involve his wife, we could, you know, have this conversation, he might say, Well, listen, uh, you know, there's other people that this might affect and I care what they think. So I want to involve them and it expands. No, it's not like that at all. They're in the city gates, dealing with the Hittites as a group and we get a picture of um diplomacy to the to the level of where abraham's at in abraham's time yes sir wasn't it typical that the city leaders or city fathers or community leaders hung out at the gate yeah that's the whole idea is um where did the big shots hang out well that's where they hang out is at the city gates they run the city it's their city they're interested in what's going on. Uh, They are the influential men, the decision makers. Yeah, very typical where you're going to find them. And before we're done, we know we're at the city gates. But yeah, absolutely. It's the business center for official business. Uh, If we were to go look at the book of Ruth, I mean, that's where the conversation takes place about the future of Ruth is at the city gates. She has a relative that wants to take her as a bride, but somebody else, By tradition is first in line and he settles that issue at the city gates and there's an advantage to all this and we're going to see it before we're done and that is Everybody gets to that wants to be gets to be a witness then so it pretty well takes care of any dissenters or those kinds of things it's just it's business that's official it's done and we all recognize that it is so So he, he goes uh, to the sons of Heth, to the Hittites, saying, so imagine in a, strange, in, a, in a city gate there, I'm a stranger and a sojourner among you. I don't fit in. I'm not part of you. I'm a traveling through guy. Give me a burial site that I may bury my dead out of my sight. We have a need here. My wife has died. I want to properly bury her. Um, the out of my sight, I think, is just a common reference to this is the tradition. We don't leave our dead laying around. We bury them. We put them uh, out of sight. Uh, and before we're done here, we'll realize this time it's in a, in a cave-type grave. So the sons of Heth, the Hittites, answered Abraham, saying, So who spoke for them? We don't know, but they're, they're, they're acting collectively here, to some extent at least. And, and they say to Abraham... Uh, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So they really honor Abraham here. They honor him by title. Um, uh, They say, we we see it in the New American Standard, at least, my Lord, it's add-on. It's not one of the names of God. It's the small L Lord. You're an important person. You're a prince among us could have said you're a captain you're a leader we you're a person of prominence that's what this is really saying if we were to boil it down into our own our own language and why might they be what might they be thinking about as they honor abraham in this way
2: they would please
0: god well they would please god what kinds of events might they be thinking about He's got the alliance with Abimelech, and we don't know what kind of um, rumor system or that kind of a thing, scuttle, but we might call it in certain situations, has managed to find its way to these people, but not only does he have a treaty with Abimelech, and Abimelech says, hey, camp where you want. Help yourself, but later they have the treaty over the well. Where Abimelech says, Yeah, I recognize you. You dug that well. You have access to it. Uh, so they have the favor of Abimelech, but God to Abimelech, what how does he describe Abraham? You remember what God says about Abraham to Abimelech? When they're going through the confrontation and God says, You're a dead man? Tells He's Abimelech to take the woman back. What? He's a prophet. You're a prophet. You want him to pray for you, God says to Abimelech. And so he goes to Abraham, and Abraham does. And until that prayer occurs, um, God has stopped the process of um, conception amongst Abimelech and his people. What else has Abraham been a part of that they might be thinking about saying, This is a prominent guy.
2: Where? Came down about
0: his rescue, of Lot, right? rescue of Lot. Where was Abraham living before the rescue of Lot? The Oaks, well, the Oaks of Mamre, which we're being told is Hebron. So he's in this same general area when Lot <laughs> is taken captive, as well as all the other people of that valley with Lot and the goods and everything that went. <coughs> Excuse me and he single-handedly goes and defeats the kings of the east right so Abraham by the time he's been there as long as he has he's got a reputation that is favorable both as a God follower a person that has influence with God they may not understand who God is and that I don't know what their understanding of God was but they recognize this guy this guy is a, is a prominent person And so, their answer to him is what? What do they tell Abraham? You're a prince, and... What about a grave? Pick any grave you want. No one's going to deny you whatever grave you think is going to be the best place to bury your dead. Now, we can see that Abraham didn't go into this without a plan. Because... Um, when he's offered any grave he wants, verse 7 says, So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land. So he's with the people. This is happening in the gate. He gets up, he shows them honor by bowing to them and to the Hittites. And he spoke to them, saying, If you want me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and approach Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah which he owns, which is at the end of the field, for the full price let him give it to me, in your presence for a burial site. That in your presence means, as a business deal, as a done deal, going to get a deed. So he's got someone that he wants to purchase a particular section of ground for that contains the cave that he wants to put, use for the burial site for Sarah. Now, it um, is Ephron present when he makes this request? Yeah, so, so here's the leaders of the Hittites, the sons of Heth. And he's saying to them, well, you, you need to talk to Ephron for me. Well, Ephron's hearing this, right? So this is how this diplomacy thing works, is you talk to the leaders, but you say what you want the other people to hear. And so um, when, when that happens, uh, it says, verse 10, Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered. So he, went, he didn't wait for them to turn to him to say something. They may have looked at him. We don't know what kind of non-verbal language they got. But he said, Abraham, in, in, front, uh, in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even to everyone at the gate of the city, that's how we know that's where we are, And Ephraim says, no. Now, does he mean, no, you can't have it? He says, no, um, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you to bury your dead. And so Ephraim's response is, you can have it. Take it. It's yours. And interestingly enough, and I don't know why he says this, but I'll pass it on anyway, and you can decide what you want to do with it. Uh, This could be taken as extreme generosity. Uh, Hey, you're a prominent person. If you want that field, you can have it. Uh, John MacArthur says he's awfully quick to speak and that there's probably some reason why he really doesn't want to be responsible for that ground anymore, and this guy's asking for it. And so I would be more than happy to get this out from under my area of responsibility. Now, I don't have a basis for saying That's it. But it was one way or the other. He was either being very generous or it was a piece of ground he really didn't want to be taken care of anymore anyway. But Abraham has a response to that, and he bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you only please listen to me. So this is this public pleading that goes on. I will give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. He says, No, I really want to buy it. It, Please take my money. Let me own it. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What's that between you and me? So bury your dead. This is the euphemistically way that they would talk in this kind of a negotiation to say, Well, it's worth 400 pieces of shekel. What's that between you, shekels of silver? What's that between you and me? That's his way of saying, this shouldn't be an issue between us. By the way, the price is 400. Okay, he got that out. Um, He didn't say this is a low value piece of ground or a high value piece of ground. He got a hard price on the table. And so this is the kind of interaction that apparently went on at that time because there's really no hesitation here. It isn't that Abraham says, oh yeah, please sell it to me. He doesn't have to plead anymore. He heard the price. He's got it, so he does it. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth. 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So there was a commercial standard, apparently, for a shekel, and he measures out 400 shekels of silver and gives it to Ephron in the presence of all. And the whole thing here is everybody heard the price, everybody saw Abraham weigh it out, It's Abraham's now. It's very clear he's purchased it. He's done what was suggested, even if it was a rather subtle suggestion. And by the way, 400 shekels of silver, uh, according to what we know of history, apparently they weren't making coins yet. So there was a bartering kind of a system. Now, obviously, gold and silver were the things that they would barter, but they did it truly through weight and a shekel is less than a half ounce so uh, if it's 400 shekels this would be less than 200 ounces do you need some temperature change nope anything we can do for you i'm not trying to embarrass you or anything okay okay very good so it less than 400 so 400 shekels of silver would be less than 200 ounces and at today's rate it's twenty dollars an ounce, so we wouldn't be talking about a lot of money here. Uh, Two hundred twenty dollars a shekel, so what, four thousand dollars in today's value? Um, so that's that's what he did, and he got he got the property bought, and so now he owns the field and the cave in it, um, uh, and so. We move down to verse 17. And in verse 17 it says, So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, so we're still in the same area, uh, the field and cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham, were given over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of his city. So this is a very official thing. It is done. So Abraham was a camper. What what other land did he own? That's the way I would have answered the question. I think that's still a pretty good way of answering it. However, I looked at some other people and said, well, he owned some wells. Okay, so Abraham did dig some wells, and he had was then that gave him access to those wells. Did he own the ground around them? I no. He just so he had some level of dominion over those wells because he established them. He had built some altars, so they were his altars. But in terms of being a property owner in Canaan, from the eyes of men. He didn't own anything, but let's go back and remind ourselves of what Genesis 17:8 says. Somebody read Genesis 17:8 for us. So, obviously, who's speaking there? And he makes a promise to Abraham. And what's his promise? I will give to... What's that? Well, you and your descendants. So, in the eyes of God, who really is ultimately going to have dominion over all this land anyway? Abraham and his offspring. Well, that's kind of an interesting thing, because honestly, we're going to get a bride for Isaac, and then we're going to say goodbye to Abraham in a similar fashion to what we did Sarah today. Let's go over to Hebrews 11. I want to spend some time here. And there's more than one reason to spend some time here in Hebrews 11, but we're first going to do it from the context of what we studied today and the fact that that Abraham went to some trouble... To buy ground with money that God had ultimately promised to him anyway, right? And so, here is Abraham buying this ground. And God had made these promises to him that at some point it's going to be yours. And we're beyond that. Did I say Hebrews 8? 11, 11. good. For some reason my brain was repraying that and I was hearing 8 in my head. That is what I said. But no, Hebrews 11 I want to start with verse 8 and read through verse 19. So let's read that passage. Who can help us out by reading that for us? Got it? Go. 8 through left.
2: 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he left, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as a stranger in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, even from one man and one who was as good as dead, At that, there were born descendants who were just as the stars of heaven in number and as innumerable grains of sand along the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received his promise, the promises was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, which he also received back as a type. Okay, and
0: nope, that's exactly where I asked you to go. Uh, I'm just going to stop before we get into all the Isaac and the descendants, because we're going to focus on Abraham a little bit today. What do we call this chapter? What's its nickname for us? The faith chapter, and that's exactly how we start out, and it's exactly what we see in Abraham, and it's truly the pathway that we have been studying all the way through the book of Genesis with regard to Abraham. By faith. Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going to a place which he was to receive for inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. There was a little bit of a test from God, wasn't it? Now maybe it wasn't truly a test, because God knew how He was going to respond. It's not given to us that God thought of as a test, but here's Abraham displaying his faith. Out of the box, it's faith. Come on, Abraham, leave your father's house and go to the place that I will show you. Abraham left not knowing where he was supposed to go, at least not in specific. And so he said, I'm going to send you to a place that will be your inheritance. And so God from the beginning is talking to Abraham about a land, a place, as well as being a patriarch of a great following of descendants. And we keep going by faith it says in verse 9, he lived as an alien in the land of province. In the land of promise. And isn't that what Abraham just got through saying as he's buying the land? I'm a sojourner. I'm not one of you. I don't own property. I'm on the camping plan. And he moves around through This area that later on the Jews are going to call the promised land. It's the land of promise. It's what was given to Abraham to be an inheritance for his descendants. Um, But that's where he lived. And it says, it continues, as in a foreign land. That's what he said. I'm a traveler. I'm a foreigner. I'm not one of you. And so he lived as a foreigner In this land of promise, staying in tents, according to Hebrews, with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. So here they are, heirs of a promise, having followed God when God asked them to, asked Abraham to, did it out of faith. When he left, he didn't even know where he was supposed to go. Now after he gets there, God says, oh, by the way, look up, look around, travel through the country everywhere you go. That's your inheritance. That's the promised land. But we see in Hebrews here, verse 10, For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So what he was looking for turned out to be, as his life progressed, not the physical ground he was walking on, but the ground where it was a planned project with God as the architect and the builder. And we see how Sarah joined him in faith in verse 11. She herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him, that's God, faithful who had promised. It matters who makes promises to us in life, doesn't it? You know, I'm sad to say my kids have figured out how to sort out my promises. You know, they're adults now. And my grandkids will soon, too, because I'll make a comment like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we did this and this and this? And my kids know that I muse about a lot of things like that. And am totally incapable of doing 100% of them. So they've learned that. Yeah, that would be, let's see what happens is kind of what they have to do. Um, and. I learned that from my dad too. Um, I could go into some of those. It wasn't that he wasn't a keeper of promises to me, it's just that everything he said that sounded like fun I took as a promise. And he probably did make some promises that he thought of as a promise when he made them and later on it moved back into, well that was just amusing in my mind, it just really wasn't practical, we didn't do it. But anyway, but with God when he made the promises there was no question that he was able to do it. And Sarah believed that. uh, Therefore, in verse 12, was born even of one man, and him is as good as dead at that many descendants. And it goes back to the promise that was given to him as the stars of the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And that's the history we've walked down. We haven't seen yet, but one child of the promise. There have been two children, But God even took the first one of those children and said, no, no, no. That's not the promise. I'll make him a great nation. By great, not necessarily good, but make him a large nation. He'll be prominent. The people will be prominent. There'll be a lot of them in the area. They'll have a lot of dominion over the area. But the child of the promise is going to come from Sarah. We get to verse 13. And we're seeing the beginning of that with the death of sarah all these died in faith without receiving the promises well now what kind of a faith booster is that <laughs> yeah god made promises but they all died before getting them the people in this book this history and certainly abraham is one of them because he had to cough up 400 shekels of silver to buy a gravesite for sarah Now, I don't mean the way I said it would have negative connotations, but I mean in terms of with respect to the promise, he still had to buy the ground. He didn't have any ground. He had nowhere to bury his dead. Died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So they saw the promises The promises that they began to focus on were different than the promises that you might say about this ground I'm walking on should be mine. The promises they began to see, what were they looking for? (coughs) promises that were filled by a structure that was built by God with him as the architect. And this place that we're walking around, we are strangers and exiles. Verse 14, clarification of that for those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a country of their own abraham was a stranger and an exile in a sense he he wasn't one of the people of the promised land even though the land was promised to him he was a camper a traveler here for a little while but not really one of you not really part of this country that I'm walking around in. Verse 15, And if indeed they had been thinking of the country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. From a distance, Abraham saw a promise that was better than the promise of the ground he was standing on. And his focus moved from this particular chunk of ground to a place in spiritual history that through all the nation through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. A heavenly one. So when Abraham and all of the other people of the of the faith chapter here focused on something other than the physical existence and the prominence and, and influence of earthly events, but began to see themselves in a heavenly realm with a relationship to a heavenly God, with a role to play in that heavenly existence, it says they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, because of that, they got it. Out of their faith, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. There are moments that we studied in here the easy ones to look at are the ones where Abraham said they'll kill me to get Sarah, so I'll tell them a lie, or at least not tell them all the truth. At those moments we say, you know, it even came up in class here, it's kind of like when with Abimelech, it's like Abimelech's the one that said you're a dead man, that's who God told was a dead man, not Abraham for trying the same worldly solution that didn't work the last time we recorded it from Egypt. And it's kind of like, well, shouldn't Abraham have been hearing from God on this no because out of faith and out of Abraham's focus God is not ashamed to be called their God isn't that where we want to be we can read Romans 8 28 multiple ways all things work together for good to those that are called by God according to his purpose or the called ones of God is probably more accurate is more accurate not probably and how many times have you heard that verse quoted looking to earthly circumstances it's all going to work out okay how many times have you used that verse maybe and frankly it's a good verse to use in the middle of difficult times but as we use that verse in the middle of difficult times we have to understand what good is And good is not that this world all of a sudden has no weeds. Everybody tells the truth that's running for office, and we could keep going down that road a while, couldn't we? That we have leaders that all look out for their people and not for themselves. That's not what good means in that verse. What good means in that verse is that the heavenly work of the people of God is done on earth. And if you want an example, we were given an example of what that looks like in the form of Jesus being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, you and I would have to say for us to have any kind of hope for a good outcome in life, that was essential, right? So look how weird it would have been for Jesus to have quoted what hadn't been written yet, obviously. But Romans 8.28 to say, It's going to be okay because God works everything for good and this cross fear I've got is going to be taken care of some way. I don't know how. but No, Jesus prayed to God and said, I don't want to do this out of of a desire for it in itself. Is there another way when God says no? He says, all right, let's go. Because Jesus was focused on the true good, which is the will of God and the salvation of many for eternity. And somewhere along the way, Abraham begins to realize that the promises of God are less about him having possession of the land of Canaan and more about God's purposes. That's what we see in Hebrews 11. And so his focus focus moves not to thinking about everything we might do in this land and where we want to build cities and the cities we want to take over to, there's a heavenly purpose in my place, in the kingdom of God, and that's what I'm interested in. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. His focus either was always there or at least shifted to that, right? Is that a good way to think about this? And because of that, or maybe in harmony with that, Abraham has to go buy a piece of ground just so he can bury his wife. The man that's promised all of Canaan doesn't have any of Canaan. At least not at that moment. And God's not ashamed to be called his God, for he has and have prepared a city for them. Where else do you hear words like that? Believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that weren't true, I'd have told you about it. John yep, John 14. Let's keep going a little bit. There's some things that I want to make sure we catch up on from the march up the hill to the sacrificial plot from last week. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So last time we spent some time here, and I want to tie that in with what we're doing this week here in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. So, Isaac is the child of the promise. And God said, sacrifice him. We know from last week that's exactly what Abraham set out to do. We don't see any discussion between he and God about how can this be, what are you going to do. We're told here, but he believed, considered, God is able to raise people even from the dead. You can take that a couple of different ways. And I didn't realize that until I was reading that through with some care. One is that Isaac could be raised from the dead. But the other is, if God is also able, if I'm Abraham speaking, to raise up for me descendants, even from starting with a dead son. Don't know how he's going to do it, but... I'm confident I will have the descendants even if Isaac is not alive because he could be raising up from the dead a people and even Jesus kind of said that didn't he? when he was told in his triumphal entry hey quiet these people down you're going to get the Romans upset he goes hey if these people weren't yelling the rocks would start yelling When the people said, well, we're children of Abraham, Jesus said, children of Abraham? I don't think so. And if God needed children, he could raise them up from rocks. Here we see that Abraham maybe didn't have a specific answer. I think it's most likely he thought he'd be raised from the dead, but we don't get told that for sure. But he trusted that in Isaac he was still going to have descendants regardless. And it says... In verse 19, he also received him back. In Abraham's mind, he had given up Isaac completely. God told me to come here and offer him as a sacrifice. I'm going to do it. And as he saw that, he, he just trusted God to make it work. But he re- received him back. God stopped that and let Isaac live that Abraham could once again go on focusing on Isaac as his one and only heir who would be the progenitor for the rest of the many descendants that they would have. And he received him back as a type. And as we think about what we studied last time, some things that we didn't spend as much time with as we could have is some of the comparisons we made some but another one we could make is begotten son very strong language we also see it in john 3 16 don't we god had an only begotten son an only son that truly physically came out of his seed in the miracle of the virgin birth right Well, Isaac's not the same level of miracle by any stretch, and he doesn't have the same spiritual seed, but certainly this old couple having this child, out of which God would make a nation and many, many, many descendants, was certainly a miracle on its own. Also we see the concept, this is a type, so we can look at some of these things and look for these parallels, We see the concept of substitutionary atonement. If we wanted to say it this way, and there's nothing wrong with saying it this way, every one of us deserves to be killed for our sin, right? We deserve to suffer the wrath of God, and just as God provided for Abraham a substitution for Isaac, the ram whose head was caught in the thicket, God provides for us a substitute in the form of an adequate sacrifice in Jesus Christ, a perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ that gives to us not only the payment for our sin, he who knew no sin took on sin and suffered for that sin, but also he was fully righteous and just as our sin is imputed to Christ, His righteousness is imputed to us. And so that is also tied up in that account. And other things that I'm sure I'm not thinking of or going to take the time today, but that's the link that I want to take us to in John 8. Look at John 8, 56-58. John 8, 56 through 58. Somebody want to read that for us?
1: Your father... Go ahead. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am.
0: And of course, how are they going to respond to that? Pick up stones to stone him. Who is Jesus interacting with here? The Jews. Jewish leaders. They're, They're going after him. And he brings up um, Abraham in the discussion prior to this. He talks about, um, surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died, they asked him. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? And, of course, Jesus talked about glorifying himself. And when he gets down here, he says, Abraham longed to see my day. And indeed, he did see it and rejoiced as he saw it. Where did we see that in our study of Genesis? So clearly there's some interaction going on between God and Abraham and some of this could have been even after Abraham's death. But nonetheless, Abraham saw it and rejoiced in it. This was Abraham's focus. He focused in on all the nations of the world will be blessed through my seed. He wasn't as Self centered as his descendants would be, thinking that they were the only ones that got the promise. Go over to Galatians 3 6 through 9. Galatians 3 6 through 9. Now, this is written to a people who were being harassed by the Judaizers, that were coming around after Paul came through and were telling them, well, you can't just be believers in Christ. You also have to be circumcised and you have to follow the law. And and so then they began, the people in in the area of Galatia, it's a province, began to think um, that maybe they would be, should be, and began to think about their salvation life was something they were earning through doing all these things. And Paul writes this letter to just shut that down. And of course, the Judaizers, they talk about Abraham and the promises coming through Abraham and they're bringing all of that up. And this is part of what he brought to them to counteract that. Galatians 3, 6-9. through 9, Somebody read that. Consider Abraham. Credited to him as righteousness understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham all nations will be blessed through you so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith so who is your father who are we descendants of as believers Abraham those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer in verse 9 verse 7 therefore be sure that it is those who are of the faith who are sons of Abraham and his point about all that though is captured in that in verse 8 the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to abraham saying all the nations will be blessed in you now if we're saying that's the gospel abraham understood more than that bare statement (coughs) abraham understood the idea of messiah he understood the messiah that would save the people from their sins That's the gospel, isn't it? Paul's not speaking about some vague gospel. He's speaking about the fact that mankind needed a Savior. Abraham understood that, and Abraham knew that the person of Christ was coming. The anointed one was coming through his descendants. That's what he says. Abraham probably, Abraham, I'm going to take the word probably out. Abraham knew far more about his place in the kingdom of God than what we see expressed in the book of Genesis. As God unfolded his plans and intentions through not only his statements to Abraham, but the prophets and all the things they would say when we look at Isaiah and all he said about the coming Messiah and the Christ, all of those things that would be unfolded by God in the right time were not fully a mystery to the people, to Abraham and to other people of history. Questions, comments, thoughts? Yes, sir. When it's written that how lovely on the mountains are the be of him to bring good news, is that a parallel of the same gospel without... I'd have to do some looking to see. <coughs> I'm just kind of making... You, you went outside of what I have captured in my memory banks to answer from. That's a nice way of saying, I don't know. <laughs> that's a self-serving way of saying, I don't know. That's a, but that's a good question that, that any or all of us could go take a peek at in and try to put those things and line them up. Yes, sir? It seems to me that, on back to a very practical level, when Abraham bought that land with the king so he could bury his wife, uh, not only did it, was he responsible for taxes and upkeep, which Ephraim sounded like he didn't want to do, but it gave his descendants access to that place and he didn't owe anybody this is mine, I own it my family can come and bury me there too One things that seemed to happen in ancient days was those ownership things weren't looked at like we always look at them oh I give that to you use it that often worked out to me until I want to use it again myself by actually purchasing it Abraham had a foothold that the previous owner can't just come along and start ignoring it it really was Abraham's and so yes he did as a matter of fact um, we're going to see that this burying site gets used a couple more times before we're done with, with Genesis and this not the
2: only one
0: and Jesus' body
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, this is a little bit of a reverse when you're talking about it. It's the grave owner himself is saying, I'm, I'm going to put this person that I place my faith in in my own burying site." Yep. All right, well, let me close this with a word of prayer. Father... Um, you didn't start history and then wait for it to unfold for your own use and benefit you designed history history is your story it is your truth it is your series of events that we get to see quote in the beginning at creation moving through the word and history of the scriptures and the truths that are contained there as you march toward a new heaven and a new earth with your people in it people of faith people that you bought with a price people that you led through life lord we want to be in that kingdom we trust in jesus christ for our rebirth that we could be born again in a spiritual way to be in that kingdom lord thank you for the clear picture and sometimes the mysterious picture the picture that is revealed a bit at a time to show us your dominion over all of history to bring about your purposes and so thank you for that lord thank you for the hope that sent us thank you for the way you dealt with abraham and established him as the patriarch of not only the jews but of all who would believe and it's in jesus name we pray amen